TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. My name is Marcus Pierce, and I'm not here with my co-host, Dr. Damien Christoph. Instead, I'm here in Sydney to be with the great Dr. John Demartini. If this is the first time you've been exposed to Dr. Demartini, let me share with you some of his incredible story. Dr. Demartini left school age 14. He suffered from strychnine poisoning age 17 until he met Mr. Paul Bragg, who you may know from Bragg's Liquid Aminos, Bragg's Apple Cider Vinegar, many of the Bragg books, and so on. He went back to school, completed his studies, became a chiropractor, and now travels the world over 360 days a year, speaks in over 56 countries each year, the author of over 40 books, 50 audio uh, CDs, DVDs, and the rest. An incredible man, a polymath in every sense of the word, and we are very privileged to have Dr. Demartini on for the second time on 100 Not Out. Dr. Demartini, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you again. You were, I think, episode two or three on 100 Not Out. And when Damien and I first recorded the podcast, we went in thinking that we were going to discover that food was the fountain of youth. I just read Healthy at 100 by John Robbins. Um, I was a vegan at the time. Damien, on the other hand, is a carnivore, uh, omnivore, really. And I know doesn't really think that vegan is the best way to go. But we both thought that in all of the interviews we would do that um, – food would come out on top and we couldn't have been any more wrong we discovered that life purpose having a life having doing what you love and loving what you do and moving regularly and having an active social life were the key ingredients you've lived this life for 61 years you've traveled the world you've seen humanity cross-cultural all the rest of it would you agree with those sentiments that those three ingredients are the keys to living a great long life well i think you know, I, I'm a believer that there's seven areas of life that we can hear, we're here to fulfill. I believe that everybody here desires to awaken their mind. Uh, Paul Bragg told me that there were seven doctors, natural doctors, and he said one is mental attitude. Without a doubt, our mind and our mental attitude and what we think about has an impact on our physiology and whether we live long. If we think, I mean, Viktor Frankl in the concentration camps, I think, proved it with his logotherapy. When they had meaning and a reason to live, they lived through it, and they didn't die from those challenges. So our mental attitude has definitely an impact on living longer. Then, of course, then our career path, because people who feel like this is killing me, I can't go to work. They have Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days, thank God it's Fridays, week friggin' ends, heart attacks on Monday because they don't want to go back to work. That can kill you because you don't have meaningful again, not doing something meaningful, and you're not feeling like you're seeing things on the way. You feel like everything's in the way from work. Then you've got financial. There's definitely a correlation between that people who have wealth, they tend to live longer than people that are impoverished. The socioeconomics of a society shows a correlation between longevity, the lower the socioeconomics. I've been in townships in South Africa where the average lifespan is 48 to 50. And in the higher end, they can live into the 80s. So there's a correlation between wealth structure because if you're getting to do what you love every day and you're not having to go to work, you have a greater attitude than if you feel trapped. Then, of course, relationships. I think anybody here has been in a moment when they're in a relationship and they say, well, I'm not sure if this is helping me or killing me. <laughs> and relationship, the stress level of going to bed every night and not knowing how to communicate what is important to you in terms of what's important to the spouse or the family can be stressful and can add to the 
the, you know, the testosterone, the histamines, and all the different chemistries that can cause deterioration of the body. And of course, your social life. If you alienate yourself, it's been shown, and I think it was Robert Ordstein who wrote a book on uh, the healing brain many years ago, talked about if you're interacting with animals and you're interacting with people, you tend to have a longer life. So he wrote about this on the healing brain. Very good one. Showing that your social life has an impact on longevity. And of course, then comes the actual physical things, what you put in your body, um, how much you move the body. Uh, do you have some reason for living? And then your spiritual quest. You have to look at uh, what is your mission on the planet? What is What inspires you and you have something you want to do for a long period of time? Because people that have foresight, you know, when because everybody has a set of priorities and a set of values in their life, when they're living according to their highest values, they tend to achieve more. They tend to give themselves permission to expand what they want to achieve. Their space and time horizons grow. They activate their telencephalon, which is the forebrain in the brain, and they end up having foresight, and they start thinking longer term. And what happens is the physiology and the telomeres extend to be able to fulfill that outcome. So we tend to live longer if we have a longer vision. And so uh, all areas, our, our spiritual, our mental, our vocational, our financial, our family, our social, and our physical, all have an impact on longevity. And, but without, without a doubt, what we put into our body, what we think in our body, food for thought, food for body, uh, and our interactions with society, if we have some reason to exist and live, they all have an impact on, on uh, our longevity. It's incredible, that, and it's beautiful to hear. And I think for people that have listened to the 150 plus episodes of 100 Not Out, there's not a one trick pony. I think it was, and we quote it often on 100 Not Out. I think you said it in the very first episode that um, people looking for the magic bullet often get shot, uh, but it's still happening. People are looking for the magic bullet. What's it going to take for people to not look for the magic bullet, or do you think that's just a part of humanity that we perhaps need to accept and um, love them for it anyway? Well, there's, there's always a scale in society. You have um, uh, about, uh, you know, two billion Catholic, uh, well, two billion Christians and you got one Pope. You have uh, two billion soccer players and uh, you have one uh, superstar or Olympic medalist. You know, there's a small percentage of people that become the superstars in every field. The great geniuses, the great Nobel Prize winners, the great things of this nature. And so life has sort of a scaled structure. Economics would not work without it. If everybody was a CEO, you couldn't get anything done. So every, in order to have a society, there has to be scales of awareness. And the levels of awareness at the bottom are always immediate gratification, short-term vision, uh, and highly polarized, and absolutisms, both in philosophy, theology, business, etc. And the people at the top eventually get to a point where they embrace both sides of life, and they're more, more relativists in that respect. So it is essential that our society has all scales. And, it's, and there will always be somebody coming in new that's learning, and there's some people that are wiser as they go. So it's, it's wise to, to, to learn how to moderate and self-discipline yourself over time. And that comes from living by what's really most important to you. If you prioritize your life and live by what's highest in priority, you're more likely to master all areas of your life than if you're sitting there impulsively reacting. And so people that go to extremes, um, they usually have to go to find out the importance of the other side. The, the, the highly polarized eventually have to meet their other pole. Uh, it's incredible wisdom. And I, I, I can't recommend enough, folks, if this is the first time that you're listening to Dr. Martini share his message, please watch and listen to this again because it's incredibly important that you understand this and apply it into your own life. John, it was three years ago almost that we 
interviewed you and a lot's happened in the world, particularly around our self-esteem around aging. What have you noticed in traveling around the world and speaking to hundreds of thousands of people around the globe? How do you find people are responding to that whole notion that the rest of people's lives can be the best of their life? Do you find that there's a beginning to be a shift around that? Because I'm noticing there's more Hollywood movies around aging. There's more discussion about it. How are you observing it in the world? Well, I have a friend who's 106 and uh, he's, uh, he swims every day. He has one glass of wine every day. He eats wisely. He keeps his mind very active. Um, he's involved in, in research every day. So he keeps it. He goes around and applies and he socializes each night. Every night he socializes with people and interacts. And he has an, a, a network blast. He goes out into his internet. He sends out stuff all over the world. And, and it's humorous. And it's kinky. <laughs> What's his name? I want to know. I want to be on his mailing list. I'm not going to say his name, but I'll, does he have a mailing list? I'll show you his emails. It's quite funny. But he's a, he's a, an elderly gentleman. He's had five major uh, businesses. He's a very wealthy guy, but he's 106 years old and he's still cranking. And he's moving. And he's moving every day. And uh, yeah, he swims every day. He's a very active guy. He keeps every part of his being moving and active each day. So do you feel that, I mean, my, my perception, my, one of my favorite human beings is a lady by the name of Alice Hertz-Sommer. She's no longer with us. She was the oldest survivor of the Holocaust, lived to 110, and had a great grace and elegance around her life. Her mantra was, I have no room for pessimism or hate. And she moved every day, engaged with people, visitors, just lived her life. But at the same time, my media brain says, mass media doesn't share enough of the good stories. There's so many out there, but they're not getting the headlines. What's it going to take for humanity to be inspired by what everyday men and women are doing um, to the point where they actually take action and do it? That's a great question. In fact, I'm being interviewed on that, something similar to that right uh, today. Um, uh, Kohlberg, who's a psychologist, said that there are stages of moral development. And the bottom stage is avoid pain, seek pleasure, avoid predator, seek prey, avoid punishment, seek reward. And that's like a child from zero to one years old experimenting with its environment to try to find out what tastes good or doesn't taste good. The second is the one to 12-year-old where you subordinate to individual authorities, mothers first, then fathers, then preachers, then teachers. And then they finally break through that at age 12, and you go on to now subordinating to collective authority. That's peer pressures at school, community, city, state, nation, and world. That goes on to about 45, midlife type time. Finally, the final stage is transcendence, where you've transcended the worries about what people think about you, and you go out and be your individual uniqueness. Very few people get there. That's that one percenters. Now, when people do that, um, they're basically going through life, and they're they're trapped, subordinating to other people all the time. And whenever they do, they think, I should be doing this. I ought to be doing this. I'm supposed to be doing this instead of doing what I really love. As a result of it, they beat themselves up. And when they beat themselves up, they compensate for that. They look for immediate gratification. They become a consumer of other people's brands instead of building their own brands in their life. And they're less fulfilled. When they're less fulfilled, they're vulnerable for immediate gratification. And that immediate gratification comes in the form of overeating, diet, um, impulsive get-rich schemes. Almost every area of life is eroded from immediate gratifications. That's why I say that immediate gratification costs you your life and long-term vision pays your life. So people that are living longer, it's because they have longer-term vision and they're more fulfilled in life. And people that are don't, they tend to go to extremes because they're unfulfilled in life. And most people in life are subordinating to individual or collective authorities and they're not giving themselves permission to be the most magnificent person they truly are and transcend it. 
Oh, so much wisdom in there. So the one thing you just said just then is that people start to subordinate to collective ideas and that's what seems to be the case with that notion of our futures. People think when they're 30, they're scared of being 40. When they're 40, they're scared of being 50 because the collective is almost pushing out an image that that's not a great place to be. I don't want to be 70 or 80 or 90. It means I'm going to die in a nursing home or my life's going to be undignified or the rest. But you're saying that in order to... Not so. In order to be the one percent, we must find. Is it the the seven powers that you talk about that we must find fulfilment in? And you spoke about that length of vision. We talk about the two most volatile years of living: the year that we're born and the year that we retire. From what I understand, and I'm thinking, as you say that, that that's because a lot of people, when they retire or get made redundant or whatever, they don't have a vision for their life. Well, there's an old biblical proverb that says, "Those with a vision flourish, and those without a vision perish." The executive center in the brain, the media prefrontal cortex in the prosencephalon or telencephalon, the frontal part of the brain, is designed for foresight and inspired vision. And it is also involved in strategic planning and execution of those plans and self-governance. Anytime we can prioritize our life and do what's most meaningful, most priority, most valuable in our life, we increase the probability of self-mastery, self-governance, moderation in food, moderation in all areas of our life. And I don't mean um, mediocre by moderation. I mean moderation to maximize performance. Okay. So uh, I've spoken to you uh, previously about um, uh, the benefits of yoga and you spoke about that yoga is great for self-governance and having done a lot of work, your work in the past and learned so much from you, we talk about with money to spend less than you earn type of thing and which is a form of self-governance and it makes me think that when I move my body when I eat great food when I do when I apply a lot of the wisdom which is not um, it's not new age thinking in that it's the latest hack or the latest tip it's actually old age thinking it's been around for decades centuries and the, and the rest when we apply the wisdom from yeah, decades and centuries gone by that creates the self-governance is that where you're going yes that's the point of it when I was about 23 or 4 I think 24 I um, was asked to come and speak at Herbert Sheldon's clinic. He had a fasting clinic. And um, so I remember going to, this, uh, to San Antonio to go there. And um, they wanted me to lecture on the significance because they, they had found out that I had fasted quite extensively for the strychnine. And um, so I went to the clinic and I came across Bernard McFadden's series of volumes. Now, Paul Bragg was a student of Bernard McFadden. And Bernard McFadden at the turn of the century uh, wrote a whole bunch of volumes on natural living and natural foods and natural uh, lifestyle and natural healing. I, I think anybody could benefit from that. those collections. They're big, big volumes, blue volumes that were just amazing. And it was practical, common sense things about how to live your life. And we sometimes are looking for these immediate gratifying, quick fix things. It was... Um, when we deal with Jim Collins in the book uh, Good, to Good to Great and uh, Built to Last and things, he talked about how great leaders um, build things with incremental transformational change, just incremental refinements and polishing instead of this one quick get rich, quick fix on the business, etc. That same principle of building momentum with incremental change and refinement is a sign of living by the frontal part of the brain. And the others are impulsive. This is going to be the magic bullet. This is going to solve everything. The same in religion. This one person is going to solve all my problems, you know. Um, so it's wiser to be incrementally refining and polishing your behavior on a daily basis from feedback, not only uh, telonomic feedback from hindsight, but from foresight from mentors who have stood the test of time and from looking at evaluating what really is common sense, what's smart. 
and it's not hard to see it if we just do it, and stick to the basics. We always go back to the basics to get back to the to refining our lives to the fullest. And that's what I love. But I I love the basics, and I love the fundamentals, and I love the wisdom. And uh, I observe again either through traditional media or what we're ex- exploring online. Everyone's looking to hack their life. Everyone's looking to do something new and find a quick fix. And at the same time, there's a perception. I'd love to get your insight on it. There's the same time that the next generation, the next 25 years, and again, I'm not sure how much I buy into it, but I'd love to know what you think, that the next 25 years on this earth could possibly be the defining generation for the next 1,000 years on this earth. And when people talk about that, I'm like, well, that's not because we're going to hack our way with all these new techniques. It's because we're going to really have a greater and deeper respect for for traditional wisdom. Where do you stand on this belief around the importance of the current generation in the next quarter of a century? Well, it's been my observation looking back um, at old newspapers and and historical documents, etc., that almost every generation thought theirs was the generation. Uh, you know, I, I think... I, I met a, a guru one time. I was doing a talk at a Cancer Prevention Control Association, which I used to be the president of in Houston. And... Um, this guy came in there, and he was a kind of a, a mystic, and he's, he, he claimed that he was all enlightened. And so I had some fun with him. I, I figured you know, anybody that claims they're all enlightened, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask him questions that he doesn't know. And, uh, and, I, and I, gave, I told the story because I met him before my speech, and so I, at the speech I just threw this little story in. I said, imagine a man sitting um, on, the, you know, on the earth in a very tranquil location and claiming to be all enlightened and fully aware. And imagine him spinning like a hamster in a, in a cage around on the planet. His limited movement is very small. I mean, he might go 500 to 1,000 miles an hour, Mach 1 or so, um, in a jet. But he's still limited on the planet. So he's still like a hamster in a cage on the planet. And his awareness is only based on what a level of awareness we have today. And, of course, that's growing at exponential do, uh, domains. And then if we went to the sun and we looked back at the earth, we would hardly see the earth not be really visible. And, um, and if we did, then we could see him spinning around on that little thing every 24 hours thinking he's enlightened. He's all aware. And he's only aware of what he's learned from his tradition, from his, his studies, from his observation, his empirical experiences, and maybe conceptualizations and integrations of information, associations in the brain. And then we go to the center of the Milky Way and we look back at the, the solar system. We're 27,000 miles away from the center of the Milky Way. We look out, we can't see our sun. We certainly can't see the Earth. And it's spinning around, and he's believing he's all enlightened. But from the center of the galaxy, um, we don't even know if he's existing. He's, not, he's an infinitesimal in an infinite universe. Then we go to the Virgo cluster, and we see our, 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 our little solar system in the Virgo cluster, our little galaxy, the Milky Way, in the Virgo cluster. And we realize that the Milky Way is just a little piece of a, of a bigger system. And then we go to the Lanikea supercluster. We see the Virgo cluster is a tiny little insignificant component there. And then we realize that the, the Lanikea is a, it looks like almost a, like a living system. And it's part of a little bitty web, part of a fibril, a fibril of a web of a really massive super, super cluster system within a tiny little speck in an observable universe, according to some of the, the telescopes. And then we realize how enlightened that person was and how aware it was. We realize that the he has an infinitesimal awareness in a, in a one over infinitesimal infinite universe. When I start and put all that to perspective, I realize what Einstein said. It's wise to live with holy curiosity and continually to expand our awareness tomorrow and try to grow tomorrow. 
And uh, as long as you're green, you're growing. As soon as you're ripen, you're rot kind of thing. And so I would like to think that in the next thousand years, uh, where we are today will be an archaeological visiting site. And, and people will come back and say, this is where they were a thousand years ago. And they were, they were thinking they were enlightened. And there's a, there's a little Tesla car where it's just learning how to drive itself and learning how to use radars, feedback systems like the pigeons. And, was in, and, and I think that a thousand years from now, our levels of, of, of nutrition will be more advanced, our levels of understanding of things. We'll probably be competing with robots and, and, and cosmonaut systems, probably colonizing planetary systems. We'll see Earth as an interesting archaeological site to go visit. We'll look at those religions and philosophies and belief systems as, as stepping stones, a mysticism of the past. I'm sure it'll continue to grow. So I don't want to think that our, our particular generation is the final generation, the final frontier. I just think that we're all just continually con- expanding as we go. And I'm grateful for the, the, the part that we got to play along the journey. Oh, Dr. Martini, we could do this forever. And I love listening to your wisdom. And uh, three years after our original interview on 100 Not Out, I'd like to think that so many people have taken just a quantum leap in their own understanding of why it is that we're here in this generation right now, why it is that we're living uh, our life as we are right now. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for the wisdom and generosity that you've given us today. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. You can find this episode on YouTube, folks. Just search for 100 Not Out and Dr. Martini in YouTube. Go to thewellnesscouch.com where you can view the entire range of wellness podcasts available, including the number one show, The Wellness Guys. Check out 100 Not Out on Facebook. Go to facebook.com forward slash 100 Not Out and go to marcuspierce.com.au or damienchristoff.com for more information on us. Until next time, as always, may the rest of your life truly be the best of your life. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.